I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. Uh, could well be the final one of 2021. Um, that is to be determined based on uh, some some things we want to iron out. But for possibly the last time, Jason, hello and welcome to the show as ever. Good evening, Tom. How are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. How are you? Marvellous. Excellent. And we've also got one of our recurring guests, Bradley Todd. Brad, welcome. Evening, Tom. Good to have you on board again. Um, look, before we, so the purpose of this podcast is going to be a kind of recapping of the year. Uh, you know, just people that kind of stood out to us, different categories that we've we've uh, notarized, if you like. Um, we've all looked at it in a different way, different uh, takes on it, which is what we like to see. Uh, because we weren't busy enough uh, over the last year, we decided to add on another podcast. Um, but before we launch into all of that, I think we will address the. Uh, the elephant in the room which is the qbe shootout um i'm not going to go into great detail on it on this podcast i've spent hours doing a, an article on it which will come out soon um i've got two picks that i really like in that um and, and i'll just give those and then uh, if you guys want to have those as well then that'd be great but uh first one for me was Corey connors and graham mcdowell um main reason being that you know i think you need a combination of two things great ball striking good putting uh the putts that Corey connor's normally miss graham mcdowell can probably pop in um mcdowell probably does need a little bit of carrying um from connor's in terms of tee to green but that's not a problem we've seen that in the past um and when you look at mcdowell's performances in this event you know he's got three seconds um here and and a fifth uh, two seconds and a fifth in his last three appearances as well. So three overall seconds, but two in the last three starts. Uh, when you look at those people that he's finished second with, they were Darren Clark, Shane Mowry, and Emiliano Grillo. Um, so very clear what he goes for. He goes and finds himself a ball striker, and he contributes to the short game. Uh, and Corey Connors is probably uh, as good as those, if not better, in terms of the ball striking department. So I was happy for that at 11 to 1. And then the other one I was waiting for the price on, which has now come out and it's gone as short as I expected, was Will Zalasaurus and uh, Sean O'Hare. Um, Sean O'Hare is a three-time winner of the event. Uh, two-time winner of the event, sorry. Um, has a couple of seconds as well. And, you know, he's, he's won it with Steve Stricker and Kenny Perry. Uh, he was scheduled to play with Steve Stricker this week as well, but uh, Zalasaurus has replaced him after a late withdrawal. Um but basically, Zalatoris, best ball striker in the world, or one of them. Uh, probably one of the best in this field, alongside Burns and Kokrak. Um, you know, whilst neither of them are excellent at putting, O'Hare is putting okay so far this season. Um, and, and that was enough for me to get on board with those. And then I did put a little saver of Harris, English and Matt Kuchar up because they just don't seem to know how to finish outside the top two. <laughs> um, but uh, Brad, I'll come to you first and then we'll go to Jason. Yep, uh, so no each way this week. I'm just going to go over a couple of win-only punts. Yep. And uh, the first of mine is uh, Westwood and Poulter at 11-1. to 1. Uh, I just think they know each other's game inside out. And despite this being a bit of a hit and giggle, they're both extremely competitive and will want to win. Uh, played with each other before here back in 2014. I think they finished third. And 
also if I wasn't having a bet I would be cheering them on anyway so I'm uh, just sort of getting behind them this week and Porter's in pretty decent form Westwood not so much but didn't take a lot of notice of that if I'm being honest because I think uh, Westwood will up his game playing with Poulter and Poulter's had joy here um, with DJ back in 2010 so yeah I'd, I'd like their chances and uh, happy to go with them it's one of my picks yep. and uh, the other one I've gone with is uh, Harmon and Swafford at 14 to 1 and uh, Harmon won this event in 2018 sorry with another uh, Sea Island resident Patton Kazare. So I'm hoping there might be a bit of a repeat of that because uh, Hudson Swafford, another Sea Island resident, is making his debut here. So they're pairing up. He's had a pretty good year, Swafford, and uh, I just think like there's English and Cooch. Obviously, they dominate here. They have that Georgia link, that chemistry that have seen them ball out here in the past. So I think at 14 to one, they offer a bit of value. I like Harmon in a putting contest, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to roll with them at 14 to one. Haven't overcomplicated this week, as you can see. I've just uh, they're, they're, they're my two. Well, I think I think you made a very good point about Westwood not being in form. If we worried about people being in current form for this event, we wouldn't bet anyone because uh, the only people that are really in any decent form are Burns and Kokrak, really, and everyone else yeah. is kind of just uh, just turning up at this stage of the season. Well, I've looked at the current. I, I listed the current form of everybody um, in the field, and Mark Leishman, I suppose, had a decent start to the season, but. Otherwise, he's made some pretty grim reading. Uh, Jason, I think one of your bets was was the same as Brad there. Yeah, I think the main bet is Portland Westwood at the price. Yeah, Brad Brad covers it all. Um, I I was against Port a lot um, uh, in Dubai uh, in the first round against Laporta, who beat him down the, the home stretch to thank God win that because hmm. Porter was absolutely brilliant after that. Every time every time I saw him, he was banging him in. He was absolutely brilliant to illustrate that. Um, Last two rounds, he hit 13 birdies, just had two errors. But he hit 13 birdies. If you go to the players that finished above him, Warwick Carver hit nine, Fitzpatrick 11, um, uh, Nikolai 12, uh, McIntyre 11 birdies, one eagle, uh, Burmester eight birdies, and Rory nine birdies. So he's absolutely banging the ball in. I, 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 honestly, I'm not the biggest fan of his, um, but he's in, in a match, in a match play, in a in a team event he's just mm. superb as you've illustrated with his record here um, when he was third with Westwood back in 14 they hit a 61 second round 59 third you, you can just imagine that Westwood if Westwood can be sort of 80 to 90 percent of his of his best form he'll be you know his it, it, teeter green game is, is awesome as we know Porter's putting in this sort of situation is Amongst the best, if not the best in the world, in the in the sort of team event match play. Um, yeah, I, look, you've got to worry about the, the people in front. But seven to two, who cares? Obviously, Billy also won the match play and, and won four tournaments between them this year, I think. And and um, Burns could obviously have won over the weekend, but for that treble bogey um, on fourteen or whatever it was over the weekend. Um, yeah, I agree. Eleven to one, I'd be. I'm happy just to have a play. It, it'll be a very small bet. I agree. I agree. If you're going to watch it, they're the ones who want to cheer on. And mm. yeah, if Porter gets on a run, he's just going to go bang, 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 isn't he? Birdie, birdie, birdie. So, yeah, yeah. I th- I th- I just just to say, it was 2013. They both played together. They finished third, and and yeah, then sorry. Porter came back 2014 and and finished uh, third again with uh, Billy Horschel. So that's uh, 
he's got a pretty good record in this. Uh, Westwood's obviously played it once and, and done that. They, they had a fine around 59, didn't they, um, back in 2013. And, you know, okay, they got kind of lapped by Cooch and English, but who hasn't in this tournament? Um, you know, that's just kind of their thing. Um, I think you both make really good points. I think that, I think ultimately, you know, I think there is a, a level of professionalism. I think there are some that are going to turn up here and, and see it as a bit of a chore. Um, Harold Varner pulled out very late on, didn't he, to uh, to not join Ryan Palmer. Um, so so that's already one dropped out. And I just think a lot of people are going to get to the end of the season and wish they're, they're not here, really. I mean, someone like Sam Burns, I mean, he had that kind of horrendous hole, and was it 14, where he... he basically couldn't Oof, find the green that, that was a painful watch it really, Honestly, I was like watching through my fingers I felt for him it was it was really horrible and and and, and like people are going to say about Morikara and things like that it's been a while since he's been that exposed like he's, he's kind of been the, the hunter an awful lot and, and done really well and held on in other times and and that was the time where he had the tournament in his hands and, and chucked it away just after the potential world number one had done the same so mm. I think just that and and Horschel as well I mean eventually that that travelling has caught up with him I think um, mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I'm a massive fan of Horschel's. I know not everyone is. Um, I'm, I'm sick to death of hearing about the West Ham link. Um, oh, sure you are I, I love all that. <laughs> <laughs> he, I, just, I just, it just, it just baffles me uh, how much it's, like it seems so forced now. Um, it's so random and it, so beautiful. <laughs> it's funny. It's nice when he puts a bag out there. And, and the thing is, he's just trying to endear himself to the London market, and it's a really clever thing to do. But yeah. yeah. Because I think I think we spoke about it before, where it might it might have been on the on the YouTube show where you know these guys, people like a Billy Horschel or a Bryson or whatever, you know they're they're not loved in America, not universally. That they get some sticking, you know, outside the ropes, and they come over to England, and and we're so grateful to see these PGA Tour players over there. They get a, a big following. Yeah. And I think that's why they come back over a lot. Mm. Um, but you look at Horschel's record since winning. Uh, Wentworth, 36th at the Dunhill Links, fine. 33rd at Mike Over, fine. Uh, but neither of them anything special. You know, the, the form he's been in, you'd expect him to be top 10 in. And then he finishes 32nd out of 53 players at the DP World. And to me, that just kind of crowned that it all just been too much. And and there's no mm-hmm. shame in that. Like it's been a it's been a really busy year. And yes, you look at the DP World and his final two rounds are his best, and it may have just been tough for the first week I've come over from Mexico but I think things just have to come to an end eventually and as you guys yeah. said like especially about fate we just spoke about Maura Carroll being really much of a lit down at 8-1 in a 20-man field I mean I know I know the, re- the reason they're 4-1 is because they're the two best players in the field maybe Cobra will have something to say about that against Horschel but you know th- there's an obvious reason why they're 4-1 but I just don't need to take it on like on the flip side I'm not going to start just chucking in Lexi Thompson and Bubba Watson because they're the rank outsiders. I learned my lesson with Henrik Stenson last week, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought that the others were realistic picks. But uh, I don't want to waste too much time on that tournament. It'll be good fun. It'll be something that'll be easy watching over the weekend. Yeah, I, I was surprised actually when I was doing all the research as how long this has been bloody going on for me. It's been since 1989. It's been every year. Like, and then I looked at how much they make for winning this and coming second compared to the CME Tour Championship here for the ladies and uh, it was quite mm. depressing so I decided to stop reading into that but you know why yeah. can't they just have why can't they just have right four majors equally spaced out in the tournament that runs the year that's it 
if you want to finish in December because you're moaning about the weather or something, that's fine. But um, just just run tournaments. I don't get it. Everybody else is working, right? <laughs> you're, you're not going, Tom, you're not going in and they're going, oh, it's just party time every day. Oh, yeah. laugh. You know what I mean? Just work. Work till the middle of December or the second week of December. I don't, oh, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. There's going to be brilliant sunshine in this event in December. You know, it's not... Oh, that's right. It's, it's yeah. not like they can't play tournaments, like you say, is it? They they could easily spread. I think I don't know what it is that they they try to do with that wraparound season. I still haven't quite got to grips with it, um, but it'd be interesting to actually finish a tour championship right at the end of the year and mm-hmm. and see them go from January to to December. And I think that's because you, you're giving players opportunities just to turn up for six months of the year, aren't you? You know, it doesn't really need to start in January. It finishes in August. And you can sort of play between September and December if you want to. Um, we saw that with, with Daniel Berger, didn't we? Last week he hadn't played since the Tour Championship. Kevin Nahr hasn't played an awful lot, if, if at all, since the Tour Championship. Um, mm. It is, you know, I, I agree, Jason. I think that I think there is, um, there is. But the PGA, PGA can still be in October. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Then you have a month or so, six weeks after that. You want to play of those who can't be bothered that's fine it gives a chance for the others to come through um i, I know you've got q schools and all this but really oh, it's just absolutely i mean we haven't had a major for, for what six months now yeah yeah it's just nonsense mm. can we can we remember that anyway. and, and this is this isn't rhetorical i don't actually know the answer it, it can we remember why they moved it why they moved it to earlier in the year the pj championship no i can't no the clue no I'm guessing that it's probably. I imagine a lot of this is to do with NFL and basketball and things like that. The ratings that they get on TV. Um, they've moved Tory Pines next year to to uh, to be away from uh, the NFC Championship game and, and stuff like that. So You're right. You're right. I think You're I think right. it's that. But you are right. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. It's not. The trouble is that doesn't say much, though, does it? Like. The people that watch golf will still watch golf whether those games are on or not. They might split screen it or whatever, but you don't care, do you? As long as they're tuned in, it doesn't matter, does it? I can't... Like any, Anybody that creates content for golf, anybody that bets on golf, is not going to not bet on the PGA Championship because there's a big NFL game on. I love the NFL, I watch it, but I can do yeah. both. There's, there's no issue with, with trying to watch both. So, to me, it just... Oh, I mean, in this modern day you would just have two streams going wouldn't you yeah. no, no qualms you mean you can get you if you're if you're a massive nfl fan you'd have nfl game pass anyway which you can watch on any tablet or ipad or, or whatever or second tv you can stream it you know you can airplay it whatever you want to do and you just have tv on for the golf i can't i can't see it but um anyway yeah that's, a, that's probably another podcast isn't it but uh, that, that's your fault, Jason. You, you, you did you see? That. Did you see? Okay, well, who cares? Before we go into the thing, did you see um, Beef and um, Stenson seeing off on the wrong tee? Yes. Yeah. And did How you is see, that allowed to Did happen, you see Stenson's like? answer as well? Yeah, it was brilliant. Apparently, yeah, yeah. And then, and then the bit where he said, yeah, he said, can we just um, come 19th and 20th and go home? Yeah. <laughs> and Spieth basically home? said no, that no, for no, a minute no. he'd forgotten that it was actually world rankings evolved in this he was like i don't actually know why i'm being assessed a two-stroke penalty and then i realized there's actually world ranking points yeah, at stake yeah, yeah, yeah. that shows it's the mindset of what they're at there wasn't it i know they were 19th and 20th but yeah he literally turns around and goes like i can't be bothered why am i going to bother 
going back to the tee. Uh, who, who you know, he's miles out of the frame anyway. He, he can't, yeah. he, you know, they're both, they can't finish anything other than 19th or 20th anyway. Um, and he literally turns around yeah, and he goes, look, can we just finish the call 19th and 20th and go home? And <laughs> people, yeah, I'll be back. Yeah, that's fine. But I, I find it just ridiculous how that's even allowed to happen. Like, it's just, I mean, surely someone's there. Like, if I can... Well, there was, a, there, was a, there was a mini tour event where, like, 40 players played from the yeah, wrong tee or something, that. didn't they? And, and, yeah. and if it was... That was bizarre enough. Like, you'd think someone would tell the first group where to tee off from. Um, but at least that was a mini tour event. This is, this is like, 20 of the world's best players. How are they not knowing where they're going? I can't believe that there's not someone following the group. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's bizarre, but that was the thing that rocked my brain the most. It's like, how is that allowed to happen? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's it's quite poor. But um, I was going to start. I, sorry, sorry just quickly, just brilliant. He goes. The frustrating part for us now is that every other group they're making sure to tell them, but for us they didn't. No, obviously mm. didn't matter for us, which is fortunate, I think, for those. <laughs> yeah. He's like so, so fucked off, isn't he? Sorry, excuse my French, right? But he's so he's so pissed off, and he's still got to play another nine holes, and then he records an eight anyway, <laughs> and he's still got to play another nine holes. I just wouldn't have bothered. I genuinely just would have gone. Do you know what? I can't be bothered. I'm going home. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? I, th- I think one, especially considering it's meant to be this charity benefiting event, which always makes me laugh because Victor Hovland took away a million dollars yesterday for winning that event, so it's not a bad charity gig to turn up to. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I find the whole event a little bit I'm trying to think of the word egregious isn't the word, but kind of a, just a little bit kind of unnecessary. And okay, look, you've mm. all you've all played well, so they'll be treating you to a week in the Bahamas, and then can you pretend you're taking it a little bit seriously? And world number one, world number one should not have been on the line last week. Like if, sound, if, if yeah. two players can't even get the right fucking tee box, how the fuck is world number one? Yeah up for grabs that is yeah, absolutely bizarre. ridiculous i mean victor hovland i mean fair play i mean like, he's deserved it all year long but he's now gone up from ninth to seventh i think they said that the world ranking points the strength of field was stronger for that than it was for the dp world tour oh, that's nonsense that's nonsense so you've got like, you've got the the crowning event of the dp world tour season or the european tour season as it was for the whole entire year, but let's have a hit and giggle in the Bahamas where everyone's just fapping over Tiger Woods and being on a driving range. Um, <laughs> but, uh, whatever, it, it is what it is. I'm not. I'm not going to. I was going to start the Tiger Woods conversation, but we don't want to. We don't want another whole podcast. So that can be for another time. But let's start recapping this year. Um, first question, and, and I kind of put it to you, and, and, and I'll let you all interpret it the way you want to interpret it. Um, and I'll, I will start proceedings, was the overall player of the year. Um, and, and we can take this on who deserves it on merit. We can take it on who you thought was player of the year, why, etc. We'll go into our reasons why. But for me, it was it was very obviously Colin Morikawa for me. Um, I didn't think anything that happened yesterday really changed it. Um, as I've just said about the event, I really didn't care. You know, I, I had a lot of... People misinterpreted my point about the DP World Tour thing and, that, and how he won that, and I'm not going to go back over yeah. that. But that never took away from the fact that I was so pleased that he went on and won it and everything he'd done that year. Like He won the, the concession WGC. 
He was second at Memorial. We, you know, he could have won that. He was he won the Open Championship. Brilliant performance there. Um, and, and he's had he's had what, chances to win the CJ Cup, Zozo again. You know, there, there's just he's been consistently there all year long. Um, I guess he's kind of a little bit of a throwback in the sense that his irons are the dominant reason for his success rather than off the tee. But again, he still drives it straight and up and long enough. So there's a little bit of that. And I think it was Rick Gaiman or someone put out a tweet that Morikawa might be the best bunker player in the world. And we don't talk about it because it's his fourth best attribute. And it's like, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that take, but that comes, kind of shows how good he is with his irons, how good of a player he is. Um, I, th- I think there's probably got to be some sort of natural regression because people were talking about, someone said yesterday that he's the most likely of anyone still playing to get to double digits of majors. And I thought that was quite a strong take considering Spieth's won so many already, Roy's won so many already, and they've still got plenty of years ahead of them. But, you know, if he carries on this trajectory, he's going to be threatening Tiger Woods' major record. So it's it really is going to be interesting. I think I think next year is massive for him. Like I don't think he needs to worry about chucking away the Hero World Challenge, but just, just for getting off to a quick start, like going out in Hawaii and winning or going and winning... Riviera or something like that, just to just to keep the ball rolling, just to just to remind everyone that he is the best or one of the best, um, because we always seem to see John Rahm at every single part of the year, and I think that Morikawa can take a little low every now and then. Um, but I think I think for me he was the Player of the Year, he deserved it, um, done it on you know both sides of the Atlantic, which is important. Um, I think maybe. Obviously, outside of the win, well, you look. I was just going to say, maybe outside of the win, he wasn't as good as I thought he'd be in the majors. But he was he was fourth in the U.S. Open, um, at a venue that probably wouldn't suit. Um, eighth at the PGA, and what was he? Eighteenth at the Masters. So, you know, considering neither the U.S. Open or the Masters were really great venues for him, and you could argue that um, Kiowa Island wasn't great for him either. It's it's pretty impressive that he's kind of done that all week long so all year long sorry so um for me it was Colin Morikawa but Jason I'll come to you for your player of the year uh Jin Youngko okay um yeah appreciate sure I was ready to give it to John Rahm until he got a bit mad the last three months yeah and couldn't be bothered after Spain which I didn't like uh then ready to give it to Colin Morikawa I don't disagree that it didn't matter Sunday yeah but my, my issue with it was that that we have and everybody has questioned his resolve on and around the greens um you know we, we have done in the past we've probably done it at the beginning of the year as well yeah until he did look you know he wasn't missing greens so it didn't really matter um and i was disappointed in it um and whilst it doesn't matter it does matter um you're five clear i mean you know granted okay yeah you you know you're you're one behind and you hit a bad tee shot and you just go i can't be bothered yeah He's five clear. He's played awesome to get there. And it wasn't just he was... He, he wasn't beaten by someone. He was crap. He lost it. Yeah. Um, mm. And for me, that does put a, a, a spin on, on the year. Uh, despite well, it, the fact that... Hovland won... Absolutely. With... I, thought, I thought because he'd won you know, two major tournaments, obviously, over here. Um, he'd won over there. He'd won... You know, he'd proved himself on both sides. We did agree with the fact that he... he, he you know, he was going to win the... Um, uh, the DP title, um, 
until he actually won the tournament, in which case, you know, you could turn around and go fair play to him, win the Open and then the season the season end, uh, fair play. So I don't really have a, a, a player of the year over in America because I think Victor Hovland has um, a great shout of that. Uh, he's played all the way through the year. We've discussed it earlier. Yeah, we know he hasn't won on mainland America, but that's that's coming, isn't it, without question. And he's done it all year. I mean, Farmer's, I think it was one hole, the 14th, I think they cost him over the weekend. Yeah. Um, I know he's beat a fair way in the end, but it sort of really took its toll on him. I think it was his second shot to the 14th, I think, it was, where he overshot the green both times. Um, obviously, one BMW International over here, one Hero, one Mycoba. I mean, he's won five events in, four, five events in 46 tries. Um, I, I, I like his attitude. I thought his attitude when Patrick Reed was fannying about yesterday for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. It moved about, I mean, his foot probably moved, what, two inches, if that, I think, his left foot. Um, it was just, that was that. I mean, it's a great shot that he hit him anyway, but that was just nonsense. I just thought his attitude was brilliant. And, and mm. he looks the Morikawa type player that we said Morikawa was before Morikawa was Morikawa. He just, do you know what I mean? He just looks solid. Yeah. Uh, but we keep saying that, and there'll be another one next year. Uh, so Hovland is mine up there, definitely. Ram, if you go pre September. Morikawa, if you go pre yesterday. But overall, uh, like I say, I'm going to go uh, Jin Young Ko because uh, it looked like the Calder sisters were going to dominate at the beginning of the LPGA Tour. Then Nelly took over and, and really did look um, quite super. I mean, the majors are not her best. Uh, best efforts. I mean, we'll discuss it. I suppose when we, we talk about going forward. Um, but yeah, she she had four top sevens in the first five events without playing her best. Um, she was obviously beaten by the quarters as well. Um, and then from July, she's she's had five wins. She won the Tour Championship. Uh, as we know, in that event, she hit 63 greens in regulation in a row. Um, when she wins, she just looks superb. When she won the uh, BMW, it might be the BMW ladies. Um, yeah. I think it was. It could have been the Founders' Cup. Uh, she just looked unbelievable. There was no problem to her. Anything. It was just easy. It was. It was. I'm not going to say it was like Tiger, but it, it was that type of thing. It was so easy for her to win. It was just amazing. Uh, and what she does, she could do it from the front. She led overnight at the Tour Championship and went on to win it. She led all the way at the Founders' Cup. She led from the second round at the Portland. She could do it from behind. She could do it in front. She's absolutely fantastic. And, and like Morikawa did in, in our sort of end of year, um, she did it in the Tour Championship, finishing with a 63. So for me, consistency through the year, had a little blip, came back and just looked different gear, looked like nobody could touch her. So she's player of the year. And I think I think the one of the biggest, it's not the biggest achievements, obviously, but one of the, the outstanding things that she does when you look back at what she done in Marvel's, 63 greens in regulation she had to finish that tournament, didn't she? That was um, astonishing. In a row, which, when you look at the very best PGA Tour player, uh, it was 51 in a row, and then Jerry Kelly's next best at 48. So, to, to, to go and shoot 63 greens in regulation, and, you know, there'll be the argument that it doesn't hit it as far and all that sort of stuff, but it's all relative. She hasn't, she's got as far to go, hasn't she? So, it they're, they're not bigger greens, they're not easier greens to hit or anything like that. It's not like it's not like she's had a tail of other people behind her hitting 57, 58 greens in a row and she just hasn't hit 63. It, it was an outstanding achievement. Um, so I was really impressed with that. I mean, you know, let's face it, at the end of the day, we've had Annika Sorenstam, J.I. Shin, um, 
uh, Inby Park. You know, they've all had a go at doing that, yeah. and they haven't. Yeah. Um, and like I say, that was coming because if you watched, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a BMW. Uh, it was just. It was. Easy. It was because I, I remember I mean, all was she, like, she do you remember, I mean, all place. she had to do. Yeah. <laughs> she was hitting it down the fairway. She approached the ball. She had a look up. And and it was just it was just easy. She was peppering the pin. It's just she's fantastic to watch. And um, I hope she carries on next year. But um, yeah, as I say, for her consistency and her domination of what was a really really good year on, mm. on the LPGA, then then yeah, she's she's anyway. I'll shut up now. No, I think I think it's really good. You know, as I said, I spoke to you earlier. I said I thought you might go in that direction. You've you've mentioned her a few times um, on the podcast and and when we've done the previews it felt like it was her name that we were talking about every single time. So um, really impressive. Just one more point on Morikawa and Hovland before we come on to you, Brad. Was, mm-hmm. You know, I saw that you know, people were talking about Morikawa haven't really had these 54-hole leads and he converted that one at the workday. But he had that one early on at the 3M Open, which he didn't lose. He shot his six in the final round and Matthew Wolf just went on and won it. So no great deal there. So, so now he's had three 54-hole leads and he's converted one of them. Um, so if, if, if it carries on in that vein, then then suddenly you do start to ask questions. So it is something to be asked there. And the other thing was is that you, you said about how poor he was chucking it away, Jason. I mean, he was on he was on the winning score after three rounds. Uh, that's yeah, he was the, That's the that's the, the the crime of it all is that eighteen under was enough. You know, Hovland didn't have to go and shoot. Wait, well, obviously he got to twenty under, didn't he? Bogey the last two holes, but it. You know, it, it was poor, and um, there is nothing to say about it. And as I said, I, I, I didn't let it sway my mind about what he'd done all year round. But it was, uh, I think he he'll want to put it right, even if it doesn't mean too much to him. Um, because the one thing I would say is that we we hear about Colin Murakawa being this kind of unflappable character, and he's had all these this this mental coach for whatever, however old he was when he got that, and he's he's way above his years, he's in his th- mid thirties rather than twenties, etc. He genuinely looked rattled yesterday. Like he might not be throwing clubs around and swearing at people and doing that sort of stuff, but he did look pretty angry at himself, which which he should be. So um, maybe just a first chink in his armour there. Um, but I'm not going to go too far into hot takes. Um, there we go. Brad, on to you for your player of the year. So uh, like you, I, it was quite easy to give it to Morikawa after the year he's had. You know, three wins, including one major which a lot of people sort of wrote him off for as well. I remember people saying, you know, he has no chance due to his inexperience of links golf. Yeah. He, he soon uh, showed people yeah. up. Well, the worst thing is he was, he was horrendous the week before in Scotland, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then everyone was like, oh, he's got absolutely no chance of winning it. And then yep. yeah, the rest is history. But yeah, he only missed one cut all year. And he's now second in the world rankings at the age of 24. As you say, I didn't really take too much notice of uh, what happened yesterday. It was just a little blip. And he's going to get to number one, isn't he? And it's uh, it's inevitable he'll get there. And based on everything everything I've seen this year, it's going to be tough to shift him, I think, when he eventually does. But anyway, besides all that, he actually wasn't my player of the year because <laughs> it's my own personal player of the year I've given to uh, Richard Bland. Yeah. You know, I've just really bought into it. About, like, winning, it was just, it really did move me. It was just such a fantastic story. You know, European Tour's oldest first-time winner. The journey, the ups and downs. It took nearly 20 years and 478 starts to achieve that moment. It's just ridiculous. But the win was undoubtedly the highlight. But Bland was competitive all year round. Like two third place finishes and six top tens. 
he went from 182nd in the world rankings to 78th. So like that's just it wasn't just the win; it was just the whole collective performance all year round. And uh, such a story and upturning form. It obviously grabbed a lot of media media attention, and it was interesting to hear from Bland saying that he hasn't really changed much at all. You know, he didn't really tinker. He's trained, practiced the same way, um, so he just stuck to stuck to everything, and it yielded it eventually yielded the results. And uh, just so delighted, and I'm excited to see what he brings to the table next year because. I wouldn't rule him out when I think he's going to win again. And um, yeah, with this newfound confidence. So yeah, I'm excited to see what he brings next year. And I also saw Sky Sports are producing a documentary. I think it's going to get released on the 19th of December, which will be going over everything Richard Bland. So I'm uh, very much looking forward to watching that. I think I think there's a couple of things to unpack for me. And I think, First of all, I think the biggest achievement is the fact that he's uh, he's got Tim Barter as a coach and managed to, to win the tournament. But um, but no, in all, in all seriousness, he I think that I, I was so stuck because I was going to put him in in our in our next category, which is most improved, uh, and I didn't just because of the person I've gone for in that sense. And the reason being, um, maybe it sounds a bit ridiculous, but I don't think he improved his game that much. But I think his game has always been there to do it. I know he's obviously elevated himself to a new level, but I think that was confidence-based. I think the ability of Richard Bland has always been there. It's just that the reason I found him the most surprising candidate of, of the season was I just never expected Richard Bland to do this. Like Every year, yeah. it just seemed to be... Uh, one of uh, I'd put Richard Bland up. Jason would laugh at me because he's never going to win. I'd <laughs> laugh at myself because he, he finished it and, and I should have expected it. And then I come on the, the first thing I ever said on a on a YouTube show with, uh, with on the Mayor Media Network was just that you know we'll tell you all about the people like Richard Brand that never win a golf tournament, and then not only does he go and win, he finishes third the following week, and then he has the fourth for third, a fifth for fourth for ninth and eighth after all of that. Um, He's had a crazy good year, hasn't he? It, it comes really to it comes to a disappointing end, which we later found out was because he'd torn his whatever he'd done in his leg or his knee. Um, which is a shame. And I think that the only concern for me, I know you said you're looking forward to next year, was that it's just come too late. Like it's not like a, it's not like a Lee West. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Late in it's, his career, and it's not like he's a young upcoming star. No. But I, was, I just feel like he's just he's got still got a lot to offer. But yeah, he, he could I, well. I tell you what, he could, could be he, is he could be one of these kind of like players that goes to the Champions Tour if he qualifies for it at some oh, point. Or, without a doubt, yeah. Like, as and when. The, even like the 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 legends talk whatever it's they call it over here start winning yeah. like senior majors and things like that because he doesn't strike me as someone that's really old like i know he's just had that breakdown of his knee and all that sort of stuff but he doesn't strike me as a right he's, he's ready to retire type of thing he strikes me as a he's, he's fit and confident and, and that brings a lot to it um and, and he'll probably play another few years on, on the back of that anyway but yeah, to me, I put him in the most surprising category, um, mm-hmm. and and, there's, and we'll come back to that one later on. Uh, but yeah. I thought I'd mention him as you've already spoken about it. But yeah, for mm-hmm. me, it was just I just I never expected him to get there, and that was it was really nice to see. Like there there is there's not one person as much as I like to mock him or liked to mock him. Yeah, I've never been happy to be wrong. Like I've never not been happy to be wrong. Sorry, I, I was delighted that I was wrong because. He didn't. You know, there's no reason. Was, he's, not, he's not an unlikable character or anything like that. You don't wish ill against him when he was losing in contention. It was just as 
golf. It just seemed to happen. Yeah, often, and just yeah. just golf punters are always going to get fed up with people that just can't get over the line, and you look, you just see him as a typical European tour player that can't get the job done on a Sunday and all that mm. sort of stuff. And, and you know, because and the reason I didn't put him again, didn't put him in the most improved. Just look back at 2019; he had four seconds. Like he's always had like. Oh yeah, a... that was on the, that was when he was grinding back on the challenge yeah, tour, wasn't it? Yeah. And that sort of shows it all, really. Yeah. Um, he still couldn't get it over the line at that no. level. And that, and that was that was again why he just comes on this surprising thing. Like he couldn't do it when he was in the best of form on the challenge tour. All of a sudden mm-hmm. he comes out and beats. Yeah. And, and again, oh. I think I think someone else should have won that tournament anyway. But it he did it, and then what that did is elevate his game to a whole new level. Like. All of a sudden, we were talking about him for everything. Scottish Open, Irish Open, even Open Championship, we were putting him up for certain things. I think I put him up for first round leader and mm-hmm. Dunhill Links fourth. It just continued all year. So, yeah. really, really impressive. I can see why uh, he would be a player of the year. And uh, he's actually on another podcast this week as well. So, it'd be interesting to get his view on that. Definitely. Golf fans, it might be the end of the season, but we've still got the holidays to look forward to and there are stockings to be filled and elves to be cuffed. Today's sponsor, Manscaped, have gone global with the tools to guarantee that you score both under the tree and under the mistletoe. Manscaped is the leader in men's blow the waist grooming, and they've served more than 4 million men worldwide. Now, my maths isn't the best, but that means they've at least served almost 8 million balls. And you too can join in with Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping worldwide with our exclusive code LFW20. That's 20% off site-wide and free delivery using code LFW20. Now, personally, with that code, near the Christmas times, I'd be looking for gifts for loved ones, and I can personally recommend the best-selling performance package 4.0. This includes the Lawnmower 4.0 Body Groomer, the Weed Whacker to trim down those pesky ears and nose hairs, and all the grooming tools that you can need. These include the Crop Preserver, the Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant that is hygienic, great smelling, and pleasant for your skin, and the Crop Reviver, which you use to tone your balls post-shave. To top it off, you have an excellent shed travel bag to house all these wonderful gifts, and the anti-chafing Manscaped boxes that your dad, brother, or significant other will feel wonderful in post-shave. Now, if this package is not suitable for your needs, why not look at Manscaped's signature cologne, the luxury four-piece nail trimming kit, or the Crop Mops as perfect stocking fillers this Christmas. Whatever you choose, folks, use the code LFW20 for 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Most improved. So I didn't go for Richard Bland, as I just said. Um, I went for Sam Burns, and I think it's pretty obvious why. Um, again, another one that I suppose you could argue that he didn't have a, an awful lot of improvement to make, and, and maybe I didn't, but it's just how far he's come. Like, had he have just got that one win at the Valspar Championship um, and just got over the line, I, I wouldn't have thought too much of it, but he followed that up with a second place finish straight after. He could have had a, he could have had a win at the WGC FedEx where Anser got his breakthrough win. Could have won in the playoffs at the BMW Championship. Did win the Sanderson Farms, and then just he's just been on a tear like 14th, 5th, 7th, 3rd since then. Um, as we spoke about earlier, should have um, should have probably put the Hero World Challenge away yesterday, as as could have Morikawa as well. So. For me, most improved. I think when you start looking at people like him and Co-Crack and people like that mm-hmm. that are suddenly major contenders, um, and, and Burns has still got time on his side, I think he's the most improved and probably still got a reasonable amount of room to improve even further. You know, I know he's playing very well, but he's still only 25 years of age. 
um, which you know people will be probably surprised. I think he's only one year older than Morikawa and Hovland, um, and I think that kind of speaks to how good, first how good Morikawa obviously is, but I don't think like Jason said, the Hovland's had a, a really good year that probably gets overlooked because of how good Morikawa is. Burns gets overlooked because of how good they are. Like it's all kind mm. of snowball effects, and I just think he's he's been a massive improvement. So Jason, for you, your most improved player. Yeah, Burns makes sense. Um, I am going to go with Nikolai Hogard yeah. in, in Europe. Um, yeah, again, I think he's 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 probably not going to be underrated next year now, is he? No. Uh, it was very interesting. Obviously, Rasmus took all the plaudits when he won a couple of times the year before. Um, Hogard started the year 527 in the world. Um, he was doing what we, we thought he could do. He was showing bits and pieces. Um, Austria, Canary Island made a lot of sense. Uh, when he was tied fourth, that made sense. Um, and he's just been progressing and progressing and progressing. Um, Italy, again, uh, you know, if you, if you said Hogard to win in Italy, it makes, again, it makes a lot of sense the way he can hit the ball an absolute mile. But he's improved everything about his game since then. He's been very, very progressive. I think he was 10th after the third round at Wentworth. Eventually finished 20th, but that's, that's fine. Um, and then I think he was top 10 um, halfway at the, at the uh, Daniel Lynx. And obviously, we know that, you know, you could get caught up on any course any day over there. Um, then after a couple of miscuts, I actually thought, oh, I don't know what he's doing. Um, where's he going? I wouldn't have thought that Valderrama was particularly his um, his course. We know what he does. But then you look through little bits of what he's done, uh, like in Austria, and you think, OK, fair enough in the KLM. Um, but, yeah, he comes back, tied second at Portugal. And as you rightly said earlier, tied fourth in the big one at the end. At the yeah. By World, World Tours. Um yeah, I know you're going to put up certain people. That Portugal Masters is actually really interesting. Biergaard came back to form. Uh, Pavon's improving. Nikolai Hogard, Matt Jordan, I think, will win next year. Um, and maybe not at Lynx, which will surprise everybody in the world. <laughs> you know, Laporta, I think, is improving. Then you've got Richard Bland in eight. You know, I think it's a really, really good field. Um, and I like Portugal as a, as a base for a lot of stuff going forward. Um, yeah, he finished the year on 109. And, and I think... Yeah, he, I think he's absolutely on the way up. I think he's, he's got a little bit to learn about gameplay. That's got to happen. They're only 20, aren't they, the Hogarth twins? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm happy with Nikolai Hogarth. I expect to see him kick on next year. I think there's, you know, it was very close between him and JB Hansen, who, um, whose attitude this year has been superb and who I still have to give for uh, shanking on the challenge Every final, but getting locked and beat by Espen Kofstead. Uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, it was close between them, but I'm giving it to Hogard because um, I, I just think he's got a lot there. Yeah, I think uh, actually they, 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 the world rings have been updated and now now both in the top 100. He's 99, oh, they are, Rasmus they are. 96th, and they now become the first ever twins to both be ranked in the top 100. Um, I can't imagine it except Brad because I think you're in the same boat as Jason. Yeah, um, no, quite the coincidence. Yeah, yeah. And are you really? He, yeah, yeah, no. Um, I, well, I've actually it's quite funny, really. I've gone for two, one from each tour, and uh, yeah, Bermuda Burns. I mean, he's just and uh, yeah, Nikolai. So yeah, it's quite funny, really. But yeah, Bermuda Burns has just took it to a complete new level this year, hasn't he? And I mean, they called him Bermuda Burns because he's just uh, dominates on that's his best service. And uh, yeah, I just honestly just can't believe how like he's come on this year i mean he's just i think it's one of those where you just get that win and it sort of you take yourself to new heights and uh yeah two wins and i 
have been pretty quiet about uh, anti-post bets this year, but I have had one. And it was after he won the Sanderson Farms and I placed a bet on him to win the PGA Championship at Southern Hills, which is played on Bermuda grass. And um, I think, you know, with the level he's got to this year, I think he will be contending at majors. You know, I really wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, up there next year. So I got him at 90 to 1 and I think 80s is available with Betfred. So I don't know if that's something I've uh, dipped into. I couldn't, uh, couldn't wait, but yeah. And uh, yeah, over in Europe, as I said, Kareem Jason. I think Nikolai has just had a brilliant season. I think more more so because he had such a bad year last year. You know, I mean, he was he was he's not so much in his amateur days, but in his last three years, he's somewhat been in his brother's shadow. You know, after all his success, he struggled big time last year. He missed yeah missed eleven cuts, and with his best finish coming at the Italian Open, which he ended up winning this year. Um, was 16th, so it's been a massive improvement. And uh, it was runners up, as you said, at Portugal Masters, three top tens, top five at the DP World Championships. So it looks as though he's finally starting to fulfill his potential. And I mean, on paper, Nikolai was individually the more successful of the twins during their amateur careers. He reached number five in the world at just 17, won the European Amateur Championship, and also played in the Open Championship, Carnoustie. So he's just he's he's got that pedigree as his brother has as well. But I think he was always the one that people thought would, if any anyone's going to get better, it'll, it'll be him more so than Rasmus. So I think I was, he's, they're both inside the top hundred now, as you said earlier. I think he's only three places behind his brother. So yeah. that's just some some rise from a 571st at the start of the year. So yeah, I'm I'm expecting to see both on the leaderboards next year. Yeah, and, I, and it's funny, both when you and Jason were speaking about him, I was sitting there thinking the reason I didn't have most improved is I kind of expected this from him. You know, he was second to Sergio Garcia very quickly after coming out of the KLM Open. And and then I think I've just merged 2020. It's kind of just been a blur. Like, I've just been looking back for it after you mentioned it. And he was shit. Like, he, he was... He was so he, shit. Yeah, that's why I think... Legitimately it's just... terrible. And, and that makes the case for both of you of most improved. I kind of saw it as... I think he was just at the level that I expected him to be at. And I forget how bad he was for a year. And and, and I kind of... You know, Jason, we, we did it all year round, didn't we? We said we don't think there's really too much between the two of them. Um, and as Brad just touched on there, that, you know, Nikolai was the, the better amateur. And we kind of expected this to come at some point. But I think it's... I think personally, the way I would look at the pair of them is is maybe I still think Nikolai will catch up with Rasmus pretty quickly, and and there won't be too much wind in between the end in terms of wins. But I would say Rasmus is maybe more volatile and more likely to to go on a tear in a tournament, whereas I think Nikolai could be more consistent throughout the year. I don't mm. know if that's a, an assessment you would agree with, Jason. Uh, I'm not going to assess it. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll 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 stick with you. Um, one of them is going to be successful over in America, and my feeling is it's Nikolai, and he gets there. But, but I mean, that's the thing. it's just very difficult. I mean, he's the one we remember most. Um, but when Rasmus is good, he's, he's you know he's cool as anything, and he's he's got a solid. It's very very difficult. I mean, who, who knows, mate? I, I think I, we I just cannot, I think we just try not to compare them. Really yeah, just enjoy, right. enjoy them both because they're both just such great talents aren't they it, is there the worry that no matter how brilliant they look because 
they are unexposed to PGA and, and majors and, and WGCs, etc. to an extent that they are both just very, very good European tour players and, yeah. and won't make yeah. the jump because... Yeah. Possibly, yeah. Possibly. Because we cool. see it with, with Kjeldsen, we've seen it with Bjorn to an extent. Obviously, with Bjorn's had chances to win majors and stuff like that, but it, I suppose it depends where you think they sit. Do, do they Are they nearer a Soren Kjeldsen or are they nearer a, a Thomas Bjorn? They're obviously lazy comparisons because they're both Danish, but I just... I don't know. It, you know I don't... It, it would be horrible to discount them early on. You know, They're only 20 years of age, as you mentioned earlier, so I'm not even going to try and sit there and say yeah. they're not good enough. But it would be interesting you know, to the, see. The Nordic League, the Danes, they produce you know, quality players all the time. Um, their attitude is great. They get brought along fantastically. And there's another Dane that's coming along next year that's going to shake them up as well. Yeah, and I think that... that... That segues us in very nicely to uh, you, you've done there very well there. I see what you did um, into our ones to watch for uh, 2022. Um, I'm going to go there and just say that this is a consensus selection. Um, Marcus Hellekilda, I think his name is. Um, that might yeah. be the way to pronounce it. He's gone from 646th in the world uh, at the end of 2020 to 82nd. Now I know there's obviously, you know. It's all been on the challenge tour mainly, so that there's a little bit of gearing towards that and winning on there gets you a lot more points than maybe it should. Um, but he's had that 12th place finish in the Dutch Open on the European Tour in and 25th in the Himalayan. So even in his two kind of starts at the level that he's going to be at next year, he's been very, very impressive. Um, I think he had some earlier on in his career, but he's a different golfer now as it is. Um, I haven't really got an awful lot to add other than I just expect him to be very, very good. Mm. Like you say there, he the Nordic Golf League seems to be something that we should be paying more attention to than maybe we are um, because they, they just keep coming through. Uh, it's, it's utterly bizarre how many good Danish golfers they are considering, you know, you had J.B. Hansen into that mix, as you mentioned earlier, Jason, that there's so many of them. Like all well, of they can't even play golf for majority of the time <laughs> no, during they, the year. They lose so, half I mean, a year out of it. And it's madness. Uh, yeah, it's it's really surprising to see that um, that they're producing the, the top quality they are, and it's been for a number of years. Obviously, going back to Thomas Bjorn. Brilliant, brilliant for the Ryder Cup, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's really good. You know, it's. Uh, I was pretty. I'm still pretty nervous that we're not going to be able to do anything in the Ryder Cup for ten years, yeah. but. That doesn't mean that we can't. Gives us a little bit of hope. Yeah, and, and you've got, you've just got exciting players coming through. Like all of a sudden, we were talking about Richard Bland as the next Ryder Cup, and with the greatest respect to everything he's achieved this year, we <laughs> don't. He's my player. Yeah, the year. I go we, we don't want that. So it's no. it's but we, another one that we're not really going to touch on. Nicholas Norgard Waller is is another one that I think will be very very impressive. Yes, End of the definitely. year really strongly. Um, Brad, I come on to you for for Helly Kilda. What you want to say about him? Yeah, yeah. Well, just got you had to mention Helly Kilda. I mean, it's just an incredible year, isn't it? He's just, uh, as you say, come from the Nordic Golf League, where we're seeing a lot of people come from now and having a lot of success on the Challenge Tour. And he's impressed when getting opportunities on the European Tour. So, yeah, I'm expecting him to have a big year. Excited to see him consistently testing himself against the best in Europe. And he's, yeah, no doubt the pick of the bunch from the Challenge Tour graduates. But I think you've got, you've got to mention Yannick Paul. I think he's yeah. going, I don't think he's going to have 
any problems stepping up a grade and I do believe he will I think he's the second one from me out of the, the graduates that I think will settle into it uh, to the to that level you know yeah back, back to him a couple of times on the European tour and he, and he impressed uh, on the challenge tour he impressed with me I think he was third in the British Challenge eighth at Costa Brava uh, the two times that I backed him mm. um, Jason your sort of words on the header killer and, and what you would say would be a successful year for him in 2022 yeah. I like to put you on the uh, spot. I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I think if he finishes, you know, if he finishes top sixty, yeah, on the European tour, I don't think that's that. Uh, what I was I impressed with him is is because of the obvious one to follow, which I, I will mention is uh, Matty Schmidt. Yeah, I think um, they both showed up at um, at the Dutch. Um, Heli Kilda was second uh, over the weekend, obviously until final day. Uh, Schmidt, I think, was third. Uh, Heli Kilder, I thought it just became a bit too much for him. The occasion was it was a little bit. Having said that, you know, um, he still performed perfectly adequately. He just obviously couldn't live with the more experienced players. Um, hit that 75 to finish 12th. But what was impressive is that he came out two weeks later, um, wins at the Swiss. Um, he's got such. He's got a great all-round game. He's very. Um, he's not mm. methodical like Rye. But he's got a very, very, he's got a good knowledge of the whole game. So he's got a really good short game. Um, he doesn't he doesn't get excited or anything like that. I mean, in the Challenge Tour final, which they showed a lot on, uh, there was lots of highlights um, on the telly, um, led overnight. And, he, and and the pressure was immense. He didn't have to win. No. He didn't have to win to get through. He'd already got his card. Um, and he had some, you know, he had some decent opposition there. You know, Gouvier was charging. Um, and the very others that were charging at him at the time. And... He performed brilliantly. Um, he, he, he didn't really feel the pressure. Uh, it was an event that made me that he would won three three events on the tour that year, yeah. which you know puts him in the you know in some in some you know salubrious company. Uh, he didn't have to win, and he did. And and it'd be obviously he had to withdraw from Joburg. Uh, so it'd be really interesting to see what happens. By all accounts, I mean there are there is uh, Ben's put up a, a fantastic. Um, uh, preview of all the uh, Challenge Tour graduates. Um, Heli Kilder's well thought of, uh, very methodical, knows where he wants to go, he's got a plan in his head. And if you look through his career, through the Nordic League and his first try on the Challenge Tour, back to the Nordic League where, again, he was just different class, um, you can see a progression. And uh, it'd be really interesting to see what he does. You know, I, I like the fact that he's performed in Holland, Switzerland, Finland. It, it just gives that the right European-type feel. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think he's definitely one to follow. But be interesting to see because often they come over and first time, unfortunately, they don't do it. Um, we'll see. Maybe there's too much expectation, but I agree with you both. It's uh, why not? Yeah, oh, I like that. The, the the other guy that I wanted to mention was Ewan Ferguson. Um, very prestigious amateur career. Uh, you know, very very highly thought of and. It hasn't happened for him so far. Uh, he lost in, you know, you just mentioned Esmond Kostad there as someone that you've never forgiven. He actually beat Ewan Ferguson in the playoff uh, earlier this year as well. Um, I, I, I just think he's got so much to offer. Like I think I think he's got a really good game. You know, he's picked up by modest management. That's always a good sign because they seem to only pick up the main lot. But he was on that sort of 2015 uh, Walker Cup team and, and hasn't, you know, this... I don't want to sort of beat around the bush of it. He hasn't really kicked on, but 
it, it just seems to be that 2021 was, was kind of a, an awakening, if you like. You had the three seconds on the Challenge Tour. Um, it might have been four, four seconds on the Challenge Tour, actually. Um, you know, you go back to when he was on the European Tour in 2019, 2018, he had some decent finishes. Um, he was 14th for the, for the Irish Open last year on the European Tour, 17th for the Dunhill Links this year. So I think there's, there's plenty of stuff to look at uh, and assess the fact that he's actually going to be very, very good. Uh, hasn't got that win yet, which which makes me think that potentially there's not a win coming in the first season. But I, I, it also wouldn't surprise me if he just did it at the level. Like, you know, we've seen we've seen other players that we question whether they've got it because they haven't done it at the challenge tour level. And it might just be that they've kicked on quicker than than we expected and, and made the move. But Ewan Ferguson's still only 25 years of age, and yet that seems like he's been around for a little while and. I think the the, the the age, correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, of, of the graduates, were all, they're all fairly old in, in terms of graduates this year, in terms of nearer the mm. 30s, and, and Ewan Ferguson was probably uh, the younger of the bunch. Yeah, no, I, I really like that shout. And, I mean, that performance at the Alfred Dunhill links, I mean, that was a good, good performance there, and it sort of shows, I think that was quite an important one as well, because it sort of shows, you know, he, he knows at that point, I think he knows that, that he doesn't know really know. I think he's, he knows he sort of should be at that level, but mm. and he's having a good year on the Challenge Tour. But I think that sort of performance sort of outlines like he, he's ready, you know, and sort of giving him the belief going into the final three Challenge Tour events of the year. And yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got to give next year as well. And uh, yeah, he's another one. I think there's a really strong bunch. But I say this all the time, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I do actually believe, and as as I've said with the Corn Ferry Tour bunch this this year, I do think they're who, who have graduated to the PGA. I think um, there's a really strong bunch um, from both tours. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. Look, just looking back through Ferguson's year, and he obviously lost to Stuart Manley, who's obviously a bit of a throwback, um, but he shot a pair of 65s to match Stuart Manley over the weekend, just lost by one. Um, and then you go to the, the Challenge de Espanha, you lost to, to Santiago Bentario, who was obviously brilliant all year long. Um, final mm. round 69 to Tario 66, suggests that, that maybe he should have won that one as well. But even you go to Cape Town, he was third there, and he, he was only one shot outside of the playoff between JC Ritchie and Jack Blau, obviously two home yes. favourites on that tour. So for me, he's kind of done, like you said, he's, he's done it. The, the the Dunhill links was a step up in class and he impressed there and I think doing that in your your home country is big when it's a big tournament there and, and a lot of prestige. Um, yeah. You know he's done it in in I think it was Norway where he was second, second in in Austria and Euroam and then second in Spain as well, third in South Africa. It just seems that he can his game travels and I think that's a really important sign. Um, Definitely. You know for this world tour as we as we've got to look forward to. Um, you, you just mentioned some Corn Ferry graduates you wanted to talk about, and uh, it's a good segue uh, into the uh, ones to watch for the PJ Tour. Yes, mate. Um, so I've actually just got um, a one to watch for the DP World Tour that I want to go over, and yeah. uh, that's uh, Adrian Marunk. Um, oh, yeah, that's been so just... as well. <laughs> 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 yeah, I just think he's just quietly had a, a really solid second year on tour. You know, obviously the highlight being the runners-up finish to Nikolai at the Italian Open. But on top of that, he just he was he was contending quite a few times. If uh, third place finishes at the British Masters and Tenerife Open, um, and give it just second year on tour, it's just shown brilliant progression from the previous year. You know, like a natural 
progression and uh, I don't expect that to stop. He's very determined and I just think he's improving every every time I watch him in every aspect of his game. I think he's pretty... So obviously his driver might be his best best club. You know, he, he can really get hold of it and he's pretty straight as well. But yeah, I think next year I'm actually pretty convinced he's going to win and um, yeah, make history. First Polish winner on tour. So yeah, he's, he's someone... Um, I'm really looking forward to see what 2022 has to offer for him. Yeah, when I when I put the kind of briefing out for this, I I told both of you that I was going to talk about Adrian Romp because I didn't want the ones to watch in 2022 to just be based on you know people say that and you think you have to pick a, a young player, or you have to pick a rookie, but it's just you know picking improvers and people that you expect mm. are going to go on to win and. You, you know, you mentioned all the facets of his game. I was surprised how good he was at kind of chipping the ball at times. Like he seems yeah. really good touch around the greens. For, he's massive. Um, and he's just got quite a nice soft hands um, in terms of golf, as far as I know. Um, mm. But um, the Tenerife Open, he was even up there. It's just that Dean Burmester obviously run away with it. I think Alfred Dunhill earlier in the year, he finished four behind Bears, but he shot final around 76. And I think maybe he's done his kind of learning. Like, he, he lost out on that mm. one by shooting a 76 at the Alfred Dunhill. Bez obviously took advantage. He he was one shot shy of Richard Bland and, uh, and Guido in the playoff, and that was a fine around 69, so he had a good chance there as well. Um, and a lot of the times we see these as negatives, that they've, they've thrown them away, but I think those were two really good kind of building blocks. And his approach on that, the Italian Open, I mean, he was he was lights out on that final round. He shot 66. Oh, brilliant. Um, when a lot of people were struggling. Um, both Tommy Fleetwood, Nikolai even shot a 71, um, and shot a 73. Like he was just taking massive strides forward. Um, mm. So Adrian Ronk, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think he'll get a European Tour win or DP World Tour win, should I say? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so for my, I've got a couple of extras. What I say, actually, I might have another one as well. Like for the Corn Ferry Tour um, next year. So. Um, you both are probably familiar with him, uh, Vincent Norman. You know, we're all pretty <laughs> familiar with him. That guy, yeah. You know, after performances <laughs> on the European Tour earlier in the year. So, yeah. I mean, the big hit in Swede, he'll be on the Corn Ferry Tour next year. And I just think it's obviously a very competitive tour. But, you know, he's gone, he's got great pedigree. He's, got, he's gone college out in America. Um, I don't think I have any problems adapting to the level. And uh, he's already achieved so much. So, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I feel like he's going to do very well out there, and hopefully we'll see him on the PGA Tour. It's a shame he's probably might not ever play the DP World Tour, depending on <laughs> how well he, he does. So yeah, um, I'm really excited about uh, what he can do on the Corn Ferry. And uh, another one is Sam Stevens. So this guy is a prolific winner on the Mini Tours, uh, notably on the All Pro Tour. He's won and had a runner-up on the Latino America Tour as well this year. And Chandler Phillips is another one who has adapted well to life on Corn Ferry Tour in his limited appearances. So Sam and him would always go head-to-head each week with each other. They were just a, a level above everyone on the on the tour, basically. And, uh, yeah, he breathes through Q School, and he'll be someone definitely to keep an eye on because I think he's just a winner. Yeah, so um, they're, they're the two that I'm um, looking forward to seeing on the Corn Ferry Tour. And I've got to mention one for the Challenge Tour and probably another person that you're both familiar with, and that's John Murphy. Um, yeah. Irishman and uh, yeah I expect I expect him to get a few invites as he did last year on the European tour but he had a superb year since turning pro like he's only recently pro before playing on the challenge tour and then obviously got a few invites to play on the Euro tour but yeah he played really well 
um, didn't do enough to secure his card in his limited appearances on uh, the Challenge Tour, but when stepping up to play on the European Tour, had a couple of decent finishes at Madrid Open, and then he topped it at the Alfred Dunhill Links, where he was in the final group on the last day. He shot 71 to fall down to ninth, but it was just such a brilliant performance from him. And uh, hopefully, and I'm sure he will get, he'll probably be playing a full year on the Challenge Tour this year, but I do expect him to get invitations like he did uh, last year. And um, I definitely fancy him around a, a Lynx track. You only have to look at his amateur record as well to, to know that. And uh, in windy conditions. So, yeah, he's he's one to look out for, definitely. Yep, I like that a lot. I think there's a, a lot of good names in there across, you know, three, three tours. And I think that, Think that not to say it's easy, but I think taking people on the the, the challenge tour, going on to the European tour, or the DP World tour, and, and corn Ferry players going on to the PGA tour, we can all kind of make reasonable assessments because we've seen them in this kind of winter period. But to try and spot these guys that we think are going to go on to the challenge and on to the corn Ferry tour and, and potentially be PGA and DP World tour players in mm. 2023 is, is a really important one. Uh, Jason, I know you had a couple of names that, that you'd spoken to. Uh, our friend Ryan French about. Uh, yeah, I mean, going forward, I, I, I'll let you do the Taylor Moore one, but I absolutely agree with you. I think there's reasonably obvious ones like Vito Pereira has got to win, hasn't he, surely? Yeah. PGA Tour. Are we talking about the PGA Tour? Sorry. Well, we're talking, we're, we can talk about all of them. Let's, let's go Let's go. So, yeah, I, I agree with you both. Just get a word on uh, Ewan Ferguson, just a little quick word. He's um, got a new coach now, uh, which may could make a difference. Um, Martin Dempster does a lot of, obviously, Scottish golf. Um, interviewed him and um, he puts up some excellent words saying he didn't think he you know he knew basically he didn't know how to keep up with his mates which was Bob uh, McIntyre and people like that um, and, and now he's got a new coach his head's in the right place so so those seconds could, could turn into a, a W you never know but anyway back on the old Dubry yeah you could do Taylor Moore Pereira's obvious um, and I did I messaged um, uh, Ryan French to see see his thoughts and he came up with a, uh, you know, a nice little list, and I've looked into them all. And my favourite, and, and again, Brad, you may be able to tell me a bit more, uh, was mm-hmm. Grant Hirsch. Um, yeah. It was decent, decent in college, hasn't really stepped up. Um, Just Monday about got queued, his card. Yeah. He did, he did. And he's Monday queued into the Shrine as we finished tie 17. Um, mm-hmm. I think his best effort was fourth last year. Amazingly, that's behind uh, Taylor Moore, who, who I fought in full agreement with, with Tom. Um, but I've just, you know, I've been reading about Hirschman, looking a bit into it, and he's saying that he was trying to um, just get distance, and he lost all his accuracy, which was part of his main game. And I just, just looking through his record, and, and you can see that there is that that slow progression, if you like. So after that mm-hmm. tied fourth um, behind Moore, he goes 39-26, where he misses the cut, and then he gets the Monday queue into Sanderson Farms and, and top 20. And with that and a change of attitude, etc. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna lump him in as as one to follow. He's gonna be, you know, God knows, 150, 200 to one at the start of the oh, year. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll give him a go. And and obviously uh, for the Corn Ferry, uh, I'm gonna stick Mark uh, Anguliana, who we interviewed uh, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Massively low scorer. Um, again, you'll know it by following the minor tours. You know, he's, he's yeah. Uh, you know, there's, uh, oh, there's he's a, a, he's an absolute there. beast. And on the, on the you know, 29 under. Yeah, won the Colorado yeah. Open 29 under. He, he can he can shoot the lights out. So, and and I said to Tom earlier, I think on his first go at the Ferry, uh, at the Great Zuma, 
Um, he was top 30 in horrendous conditions. And he starts there, obviously, in January. He's only got eight starts. But hopefully, he can, he can keep the paces and, and keep getting one more starts. And, and we'll see what happens. So, those two for that one. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've got one more to add to um the, the graduates going on to the corn ferry tour and, and i like the, the name of uh, jonathan brightwell uh seems to be someone he's, he's just got his card he's got a few starts back at q school nice. uh transferred to oklahoma university uh for his final year and he he'd played 161 career rounds over five collegiate seasons closed with three wins 15 top fives 20 top tens and 26 top 20s um before going to Oklahoma for his final year, he was tied 13th in the world uh, rankings. He was sixth at the NCAA championship. He was nine and one in match play, three and zero at the national championship. So, all very very good. Uh, single season scoring average of 71.31, which is the 11th best all time in school history. So, he, he seems to be someone that that could go really really well. He's he's an absolute giant. He's six foot five. Um, gave up basketball to go into golf, which, you know, to me suggests that I don't know. He could either be really crap at basketball and just made it, or <laughs> he thinks he's got a better chance of uh, succeeding in golf. And certainly looks like he might have uh, a bit of talent there. I think other people to come from that uh, that school: Abraham Answer, uh, Todd Hamilton, Anthony Kim. Uh, you know, it's not a bad little path into the. Uh, into the corn ferry tour, so I like that. But any more words on those ones that Jason mentioned there, bro? Uh, no, no, I, I could go with you, mate. And uh, but I did, I did manage to forget to uh, say my ones for the PGA. Well, I, I agree, like as Jason and you said, Mito is an obvious one, right? Yeah. Um, I, he's just an elite ball striker, and I was on him. I, I've been, he's been one of my favourites for a while now. You know, from the corn ferry tour, I was, I was on two of his three wins, so. I completely um, following him probably too much um, than I should be uh, in terms of uh, betting on him. But I just think he's taken to the tour like a duck to water. And I really do just expect him to uh, have a big year, as you both mentioned. But the one I really wanted to mention was uh, Alex Smalley. Yeah. So, yeah, he first came on my radar during lockdown at the local IQ series. So where he had a number of good performances um, he secured his card through the Corn Ferry Tour Finals. He's had a great start already this season. 12th place in the Bermuda, 15th Houston Open. Like seriously impressive college and amateur career. Like where he made history at Duke University, holds the best career scoring average, best single season scoring average, the most top five finishes, and the most sub 70 rounds in the school's history. Bun won a bunch at amateur level, ranked 12th in the 2019 amateur ranking. And yeah, it's just a fantastic pedigree. And I just think he's quickly, how quickly he's settled into the PGA Tour life. He's someone I will continue to watch closely and I wouldn't be surprised to see him contending at some point during the week. Yeah, I wouldn't rule him out. Kevin Strillman and Joe Ogilvie, uh, Alan of, uh, of uh, Duke University and Art Wall Jr. had 14 PGA Tour wins, including 1959 Masters, which was even before Jason's time, but uh, is, is impressive nonetheless. So to, for him mm. to be that successful at college uh, is pretty impressive. But a word on Taylor Moore, um, obviously, because Jason teamed me up for it. I think for, you know, you, you see the golfers like these and, and they suddenly start coming out and having these real strong runs of form and you, and you think, where has it been for, you know, a reasonable amount of time? And, it was like that with Zalatoris. He came out, you, you, get, you speak to him and you hear a little bit more about the fact that he kind of 
didn't have status anywhere, struggled with the Monday qualifiers, but once he got his sort of feet on the ground and he's got his starts, he was he was flying and, and it's a completely different story for Taylor Moore. Um, this guy actually had two or he had his lungs collapse on him twice. Um, so, you know, he, he he went to golf with his friends, um, just started to feel really, really unwell, took himself to ER. Um, they did a few tests and, and, and they found this kind of, they call it spontaneous pneumothorax, which is basically a collapsed lung. Um, and he was, he was going to fly. Um, and, he, and he flew home and, and had another appointment and went back to the doctors and they said it collapsed again. And this, this is basically near-death experiences um, that have held this guy back. And then you look at what he's done in 2020 and 21 is quite extraordinary. I mean, 2020 had 11th, 12th, 16th, 5th, 6th place finishes. And then you go into to 2021, 4th, 3rd, 9th, 9th, 3rd, 5th, 7th, finally gets his win. Um, yeah. in July beats Eric Barnes by three shots Grant Hirschman was in there um, also as well and then finishes second the following week as well uh, at the price cutter behind Dylan Wu who's obviously another big prodigy really and then just end the mm. season's really strong he had back to back top 10 finishes and then goes it's on to the PJ Tour um, and just hits the ground running 17th at the Sanderson Farm 24th at Shriners 8th at the RSM Classic um, the eighth, obviously, being his best ever finish on the PJ Tour, first time he'd ever got a hole in one. I just think that, like, th- these are just golfers that I speak about it quite a lot. That is it just injury that hold these people back? And and you look at like when Reed has a, a bad patch of form, and it's because he's been ill, and then suddenly finishes second in Bermuda. And you know, Taylor, I'm not expecting Taylor Moore to necessarily just go and be a major winner all of a sudden, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're looking at people to follow on the PJ Tour, and I think he will contend uh, for titles in the near future. I mean, he's not—he's not massively young. I think he's—he's he's in his late twenties, so it's not like we've got uh, a prodigy on our hands or anything like that. But we've seen with kind of Will Zalatoris that people write these young stars off very quickly because they've had a couple of years of, of not producing what people expect. I guess is, is the right way for it. Um, and very quickly just forget about them. And I'll be completely honest, before this last couple of years, I didn't really think about Taylor Moore. You know, he wasn't someone that, that I kind of looked out for. And all of a sudden, he looks like someone that could be uh, the very next big thing on the PGA Tour at, at the ripe old age of 28 years of age. Mm-hmm. Um, agree with that. So, yeah, so I think we've got Taylor Moore, Alex Smalley, Mito Pereira, Grayson Sig, that Jason Knight said that that we'd be looking out for on the PJ Tour. Um, obviously, all very happy to look at Heli Kilda for the DP World Tour. Um, Adrian Moronk as well. One player I think that, that, that's that been around a bit more in the mould of, of uh, you know, I guess maybe an improver, but I think Luke List will have a, a decent year on the PJ Tour. Um, I don't think he's a player that obviously everyone knows about, but I just, I just feel like the improvement is coming like to me I, I kind of liken it to what Jason Kokrat did and whilst I don't think he can necessarily go and get three wins in the space of a 12 month uh, span I do think that he can uh, improve pretty significantly on, on what he's done and, and get himself a victory so I would not be surprised at all to see Luke List get an overdue win on the PGA Tour um, to, be fair, to be fair Tom nobody thought Jason Kokrat was getting three wins no. so no, and not at all. And I, th- I think I think that's the thing. Like it's very quick how things change. Like, all of a sudden, people like people don't 
suddenly think Jason Kokrat's lucky to win. They think that this is his level. Um, but they'd given up on him. Like after years and years, and I think it's a, I almost think it's like a, a betting thing. Like we're so used to betting these guys and getting them at these pods and getting lit down that we kind of get so fed up we, we, we give up on them. Whereas people that are just casual golf fans go, like, oh, I see Luke List name pop up a few times, and you know he was he was bound to win at some point soon. You know just just looking at it, you know sixth at the Wells Fargo, fourth at the John Deere, fifth at the Barbasol, seventeenth, seventh, eleventh, and tenth to start the season. You know, I just, I just think there's a, a very obvious improvement in his game over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you know what? It, it's 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 very. I mean, I'm just reading about Hirschman here, yeah. um, who says the same thing as David Horsey said when we, we spoke to him. Yeah. You know, he had something go wrong with his grip, and and you know, grip changes are a process, and it's difficult to work on during the season. You can't change if you're playing crap and you know there's something wrong. You can't take a month off. You've still got to be there next week because there's points to be earned. And, and you can there. lose whole seasons, can't you, like that? Exactly. Yes. So it's 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 not a way. Yeah, as you say, it's, it's they may well be working on something, and it's just going to take a year to get through. Yeah. Um, it's a price thing, isn't it? It's a price, you know, how many times this year, even, have we said even the big boys, you know, even Brooks Kepka, the Roy McElroy's, how many times have we said it's just too big, and it's the same all the way down. You know, if you think somebody's basically a mid mid range player, sixty six to one player, and because he's been you know playing crap or whatever, there's an issue somewhere. He goes, that's 150. Hmm. Um, doesn't mean that. I mean, Coke Crack, I think, when he won, was a, a decent price, wasn't he? Was. Um, you know, it's, it's Sam Burns. Sam Burns is going off prices now. If I'd have said Sam Burns was going off 18, 20 to 1, if I'd have said that six months ago, you know, or a year ago, you'd be laughing. It's, it's, <laughs> such, a, it's such a fine, fine line. Um, you know, and um, yeah, it's difficult. I think, I think kind of when I spoke to Ollie Wilson, he sort of said that. He was he was really battling basically the driver yips without him saying as many words you know he just couldn't find the middle of the club place couldn't keep it on the course and all of a sudden gets gets a nice swing tip from Robert Rock just went for his swing and said he can help him out sent him a few emails and videos and very quickly you know fixed it to temporarily it obviously didn't last but it just showed, I mean Harris English is is gone completely off the boil since they robbed him of that worn grip that he's had for twenty years on that dodgy ping putter so. Um, the smallest of things can make a difference. But as we saw with him, he's shot 63 on Saturday. And does that mean he's go- he's going to come back? We we just don't know. And I think there's you've said it an awful lot, Jason. It's, it's always been a comment that I've kind of pushed back on a little bit. But it's true that we we just can't second guess these guys. Like we can't get in their heads. We don't know. We know enough about 150, 200 golfers. We can't know enough about 400 and 500 golfers that when they've been missing for a couple of years, we, we have to know why. You know, it, eventually it's just going to hit us in the face when someone is a massive improver. And, you know, it, it's really, it's, it's a nice thing to see. And I think, especially with someone like Taylor Moore, I think, you know, no one's going to, you know, hate to see the success of somebody that's come back from two collapsed lungs uh, yeah. for his potential. So, yeah. I think for me that that was kind of all I wanted this this kind of podcast to be. Um, nice to kind of talk about the year as a whole. Uh, there's there's plenty more we could have mentioned, but we want to get off and have an evening to ourselves and and kind of you know wind down the podcast year. But um, yeah, I think we covered it. I think we we got the ones that we we thought stood out. We got the ones that we got to look forward to next year. I'm happy with that. Is there any other order of business, Jason? You want to mention? Just two I'd mention. Uh, Callum Fife, I'm going to follow on the Challenge Tour. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. The Scots do amazingly well 
on the Challenge Tour. They've had three, you know, two or three really, really good years. And they've had winners come from it. Rock Boris, uh, obviously Bob McIntyre, David Lawyer, they've all won. Uh, Liam Johnson hasn't quite yet, but he's of the same mould. Callum Hill, Connor Siamy, they've both had, well, Hill's won, Siamy hasn't, but he's still had success in, on, you know, on the tour. And, um, you know, obviously you've got uh, Craig Howie going up with um, Ewan Ferguson up yeah. to the top level. But Callum Fife was um, equally as good as a youngster. Um, I think he's more of a grind than anything else. And mm. if he plays the hydro, if they, because who knows what the schedule's going to be with all stuff coming in now that's uh, going to fall apart, I think. <laughs> but if Callum Fife plays the hydro, that's the one I'm, I'm going to be, yeah. be really looking yeah. for him. He loves it hard. He loves it. He loves the wind. Um, I'm just really interested. I'm, I'm not convinced that he's going to hit the 25 unders that, that you need to um, <laughs> most of these events. But watch for him because if, if it does look like it's going to be bad weather, uh, I think Fife is well worth watching. Yeah. Um, and the only other one, very quickly, is, is we discussed her earlier. If she makes it through the LPGA um, uh, Q School, it's on Thursday. I think it's four rounds left. She's currently in seventh. Um, Brad, please correct me if I'm wrong because you'll know how to say it. Um, yeah, you, do you know what you'd, you'd, you'd think it's out, you'd think that's how it sounds, but then I was watching the US Women's Open and the other guy was saying something completely different. So I've been calling her Faru all this time as well, but yeah, F U R U E. But it, yeah. it is actually, I remember listening to the commentary, it's it's nothing like that, and uh, I'm I don't have any, I, I can't remember what it was like, it was something <laughs> you'd never. Expect. I wouldn't trust they were right either, so I wouldn't worry too much. No, I know. So, but it had so, me, my brain frazzled. Right, so Sylvia Smith, right, yeah, right, is playing the LPGA. <laughs> the Yaka Furu, I have to say it like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Awesome player as a junior. One, one, you know, major competition at 12, 14, 15 years old. Won high school championships at 15 and 16. At uh, 16, she was uh, 28 from the Japan Open. So was pro in 2019. Won three. Uh, Japanese tours in 2020 or LP, uh, JLPGA tours in 2020, wins three this year uh, when she won the 2021 Japan Classic it may not mean anything to anyone but previous winners over the last few years, the brilliant J.I. Shin, who um, is tremendously bestowed on the LPGA tour by me anyway um, um, Suzuki uh, Nasa Hatioka, who obviously was uh, runner-up in the US Open and uh, Shenzhen Fung, who won this in 16-17. So the tournament itself, whilst not always on the same course as Odessa's was, um, produces absolute top-class winners. Um, fourth in the Evian Championship, uh, which is, I would say, you know, it's, it's the event that doesn't need, and Brad, again, you, you're correct if I'm wrong, that's the event that doesn't need you to be particularly long. Um, obviously, Ji uh, Ko has been a, a winner there. Um, and then she was up there for three rounds of our Open. She was 15th after three rounds. She finished 20th. Um, we were talking earlier, you mentioned the fact that she's not particularly long off the tee, but sometimes, I and mean, it really doesn't matter, Alexia Thompson's long and she can't putt to save her life. So um, it's not always about that. Expect her to hit greens in regulation all over the place. Um, and hopefully she qualifies. She should do. Should do, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think she'll be one to watch on the LPGA Tour, along with, obviously, Leona Maguire, who's definitely going to win this year. She will, yeah. I agree with all of that. That's good. And also, Callum Fife. Sorry, I've got to say, I'm a massive fan of Callum Fife as well. I've been following him and betting him on the Euro Pro Tour as well. So, actually, both of them shouts I'm uh, very, very much behind. <coughs> yeah, I like that. Any, any more for you, Brad? Uh, no, that's it, mate. No, yeah. that's good. I think... 
I think the main thing for this I wanted to get out of here was to kind of give people an early insight into to what we were thinking for next year, really, you know, when, when we come out and we're putting up Adrian Moron for Abu Dhabi and places like that. and Because it's very easy to... I don't, to say that we've been looking at them all, all winter long and and there's no substance to that, do you know what I mean? Not, not to say that we need to put ourselves on record, but it's nice to give people a, a kind of line in thinking of what we've been looking at and, and what we believe is going to be the case. And when these young players come up to the, the DP World Tour and the, the Corn Ferry and PGA Tour and we say, yeah, well, we uh, we had our eye on those and, and people say, well, you never mentioned it. We've given, our, we've given ourselves a kind of platform to do that whilst also recapping the experienced pros and what they've done this year. So thank you very much, gents, for joining me for uh, possibly one last podcast for uh, 2021. Um, obviously, if I do drag you on here again, then you can bill me and invoice me for the extra hours. But um, look, if, if this is the last one, then gents, have a, have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, and just a big thank you to listeners because there would literally be no point in us doing this if people weren't listening. If, the, if there wasn't the hundreds of people out there that do listen, then... I uh, I wouldn't be sitting here every every Monday evening doing this. I wouldn't be asking Brad to come on. I wouldn't be asking Jason to co-host it with me every week. And uh, you know it, it makes it all worth it. So thank you very much for your listening. Um, hopefully you'll go and share and uh, review the podcast as well. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all again in 2022. So thank you very much, gents. Cheers, Tom. Uh, thumbs thumbs as we're nearly up to the year's anniversary. If you get angry, thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> What a lovely way to end. Thank you.